Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Acts 27 is all about a bad decision. Paul is dropped right in the middle of a bad decision. Actually, he's in the middle of a storm. This boat that Paul is on is headed towards Rome. They're traveling through the Mediterranean, and it was an arduous journey from the start. They're stopping from port to port, and it is so obvious that there is a hindrance in this journey. Something is going on. So Paul said, hold up, can I make a public service announcement? I don't think we should keep going. He said, men, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on, shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. Paul said that in verse number 10 in Crete. Crete translates to me flesh and carnal. Have you ever set sail out of your flesh? The storm didn't start till verse number 14. So you mean to tell me that the storm that started in verse number 14 would have been avoided if they would have just listened to Paul in verse number 10? You mean to tell me that before the rain came, wind blew, Paul said, I'm telling you, we gonna die. Don't do it. I love that Paul didn't just say, I told you so. He offered some assistance on the back end of the I told you so. It's in verse 22. He says, but take courage. Take courage. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. Nobody wants that word right there. Nobody wants the word that the ship is going to fall apart. Many of us, especially when we sailed out in our own strength and we sailed out in our own flesh, we don't want the ship. We don't want the business. We don't want the relationship. We don't want the thing to fall apart. But he said, guess what? I'm so sorry to tell you the ship is going to break down. But the good news is you will not lose your life. You're going to lose some things, but you will not lose your life. And I want to tell somebody in here today, if you still got a pulse, you still got a purpose. Even if you lost some things, the things can get broken. The things can hit the rock. But if I'm still here, that means God's not through with me yet. That, uh, that two-minute clip is actually uh, my entire sermon for today. Uh, so those of you been praying for short sermons, <laughs> Merry Christmas. That's all I got. God bless you. It's been so good being with you. I'll see. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. Ooh. I don't know if you've ever uh, watched a series on Hulu or Netflix, and sometimes before you start the next episode, they will give you a quick recap of the episode that preceded the one that you're about to watch. Simply so you will have context for the new season and the new episode. That was kind of my purpose in showing that recap from last Sunday. I wanted you to make sure that you were fully aware of where we are in our journey. Last week, we talked about the Apostle Paul In Acts chapter 27, the Apostle Paul, that gospel globetrotter, the Apostle Paul, that serial killer turned church planter. We started following his journey as he was en route to Rome, en route 
to Rome. And as he's en route to Rome, a storm breaks out. And in the middle of the storm, ooh, Paul says, I told you so. That's what I titled the message, I told you so. And remember I told you, those are four words that nobody wants to hear in the middle of a storm. When you're going through a storm, it does not help the situation for you to tell me, I told you so. But the only difference between our I told you so's and Paul's I told you so is that his I told you so was backed by a promise from God. Ooh, he said, I told you so, but he said, guess what? Don't lose your courage. We're going to make it to the other side. He says, don't worry. I got a vision last night. As a matter of fact, an angel came and visited me and said, guess what? You will stand trial before Caesar. You have to get to Rome. You have to get to your destination. He said, you're not going to lose your lives. Now, you're going to lose the ship, but you will not lose your lives. Trust me, you're going to make it to Rome. That's what Paul said in Acts 27. And today, I want to pick it up in Acts 28. Mm. I want to literally pick it up. I want to pick up the pieces. The aftermath of the storm. Whether you realize it or not, I know it looks a mess. But all these pieces on this stage are preaching. These pieces of the boat are preaching better than I could ever preach to you today. Because these pieces of the boat from last week are letting you know that God's word stands true. That whenever God speaks something, it has to come to pass. And that if he said, you're going to make it, but the ship is not going to make it, you better believe that every single word that God gives you will come to pass. Look at this boat from last week. It is torn up all over this stage today. But guess what? Ooh, I'm not. I'm still here. I'm still standing. This boat didn't make it, but I made it. I, I, love, I love that you're clapping. I love that you're clapping, but let's be honest. You don't like that. Nobody likes to get that word. Let's be honest. We don't want to get the word that we're going to make it, but the ship is not going to make it. Nobody wants that word from God. We want God to hold it together. We don't want anything to fall apart. As a matter of fact, uh, it, was, it was Tuesday this week. Tuesday this week, uh, the guy woke me up. He woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, you got to preach part two of this message. Woke me up. Thank you. Thank you. That was for you. He woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, you got to preach part two of this message. And I called Frank, our creative director. I called him up. I said, Frank, hey, we still got the boat from last week? He said, no, we returned it. I said, why? He said, we balled on the budget. We returned it. I said, I said, Frank, do me a favor, go, go, go rebuy it, rebuy it. He said, for what? Ooh. I said, I want you to repurchase it because I want to rip it. I said, I want to rip the boat and the bed sheet slash sail, and I want it spread out all over the stage. And you should have seen how Frank reacted to me telling him that we're going to buy a boat just to rip it up and put it on the stage. And that's generally the face that we make whenever God gives us a word that it's going to tear into pieces. That's generally our reaction when God says, you're going to make it. But the thing that you thought was carrying you is not going to make it. You're going to get to the shore, but the thing 
that you thought was supporting you is going to be torn completely apart. And the reason that word frustrates us is because how many of you know he wouldn't have got on the boat, at least the other passengers, wouldn't have got on the boat if they knew it was going to be torn apart. Come on, you wouldn't get on any boat that you knew was going to be torn apart. You would not get in a car that you knew was about to crash. That's how shipwrecks happen. They just happen. And you're like, nobody gets married and says, you know what? I cannot wait for year four of this marriage for it to just fall apart. Yeah, that's why I bought all these flowers and paid this expensive price for this venue because I can't wait till the marriage falls. Nobody says that. Nobody has a baby and says, I can't wait for this kid to get strung out on drugs and lose their mind. Nobody says that. Nobody starts a business and says, you know what my business goal is, is to be bankrupt in seven years. <laughs> Nobody says that shipwrecks just happen. And when they just happen, you are left with all of the pieces. You're left with the pieces. And when you go through a shipwreck, you're trying to assess the damage. And yes, I'm alive, but look at what I lost. God, God I, I know it's Thanksgiving. I don't want to say I'm not thankful, but I'm glad I'm alive. But look at what I lost. Look at the pieces that are everywhere. Look at what was torn apart. That is the pain of a shipwreck is when you're left trying to figure out what do I do with all of the pieces? And how do I get clarity from the pieces? God, you, I'm glad you saved my life, but could you at least save the ship too? Come on, let's be honest. That's your real prayer. It's like, God, save me and the ship. Can y'all be real in here today? If I could pick it, save me and the ship. I'm glad that you saved me, but if I get to choose, save me and the ship. As a matter of fact, why didn't you just stop the storm? Come on now. If, if I can pick it, if I can pick it, option B is save me. Option number three is save the ship, but option number one is stop the storm. I know you got the power to do it, so why didn't you just stop the storm in the first place? Has anybody ever opened up your mouth and just said, God, please stop this storm? Oh, I'm going to come right to your front door. Some of y'all in church today because you're going, God, please stop this storm. You ain't been to church since last year. But you pulled up the Toyota Music Factory today because you're crying, God, stop this storm. Just stop this storm. I know you got the power to do it. See, this is what frustrates me with God. See, my problem with God is not his power. I know he's got the power. I never question God about his power. I never question God about his ability. I know he's got the power. I know he's got the ability. I'm never talking to God about impotence. God and impotence don't ever go together. I question sometimes his timing. I question sometimes his ways, but I don't ever question his power. I know he's got the power to stop the storm. See, what messes me up is God's resume. I know his resume too much, and I know that stopping storms is on his resume. As a matter of fact, I know healing the sick is on his resume. I know opening blind eyes is on his resume. I know opening deaf ears is on his resume. I know giving me a 
blessing is on his resume. I know breaking chains is on his resume. I know splitting red seas is on his resume. I know killing giants is on. Oh, some of y'all don't know what's on the resume, but you better read your Bible and from cover to cover, it will tell you what your God can do. He's omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, infinite in all awareness, understanding, and insight, omnipresent, able to be everywhere at the exact same time. I don't question his power. Stop the storm. That's what he did on the boat. Remember the disciples were having a panic attack? And he goes out to the boat, preaches a three-point sermon, just says, peace, be still. And he stopped the storm. I know he's got the power to stop it. The problem is, if I'm going to trust his authority to stop the storm, I've got to trust his authority to wreck the ship. No, I wasn't going to get an amen right there. Because you want him to stop the storm and say, peace be still. But what do you do when he wrecks the ship and you didn't get a peace be still? You got pieces. And so now I'm stuck on the shore in the paralysis of analysis trying to get clarity out of all the carnage and figure out what do I do with the pieces? What do I do with the pieces? You ever go through a shipwreck and then you start analyzing all the things? See, I should have set the sail earlier. <laughs> see, I, see I, knew, I knew from the first date. I saw the signs. Come on, you know how you start doing when you start playing back? Everything like, what, oh, see, I could have done. But, but some stuff just got to be wrecked. So I want to save you some time playing repeat in your mind over what you could have done because sometimes it is God ordained that the ship gets wrecked and you're left with the pieces, the pieces, and pieces can leave you puzzled. Pieces can leave you confused. Pieces hurt. Pieces whoo, are frustrating. Don't ask me how I know. Oh, you know, we got three little humans, three little, three little mocha kids, and, and, and their ages are eight, uh, six, and five. Eight, six, and five. And, uh, you know, we out here trying to do the best we can, trying to raise these kids <laughs> in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. People ask, when are you going to do a series on parenting? When I get out of this thing, okay? <laughs> I ain't got nothing for you. It is every man, every woman for themselves. You better pray and seek the Lord. <laughs> trying to figure it out myself. You're the pastor, I know, but... Uh, we're trying to raise these kids, trying to raise these kids right, so we're trying to cut on their screen time, trying to cut on their screen time because they're in front of screen all the time. So we got some activities that we do sometimes just trying to get them to not be glued in front of a TV screen. And so my oldest, Evie, uh, we have a holiday tradition. Uh, we make puzzles. We make puzzles. We put puzzles together. And uh, my son, my son, my man child, Robert Madu III, uh, he doesn't like puzzles. He doesn't like puzzles, uh, but he loves some Legos. He loves his Legos. So I do Legos uh, with him. Now, Remy, <laughs> Remy don't like either. Remy likes to sip espresso and discuss my sermon, okay? She is. <laughs> she wants to talk philosophy and theology. She's four going on 53. And, and it's crazy. I noticed something that 
when I'm doing puzzles with Evie and Legos with my son. Have you ever noticed puzzles and Legos don't come put together? They come in pieces. You can't, you can't purchase the puzzle put together. You can't purchase the Legos put together. They charge you for the brokenness. They make you pay them to go through the pain of putting it together. And there I am. It has happened with both of them on the kitchen table trying to put all the pieces together. And I can't tell you how many times with both of them I've got so frustrated, especially that unicorn puzzle and the dinosaur Lego set. I've gotten so frustrated in the process of trying to make sense of all the pieces. I've gotten so annoyed that in the middle of it, I said, ah, forget it. Go watch TV. Now, for real, this don't make no sense. I don't got time for this. Go watch whatever you want to watch. I don't have time to sit up here trying to figure out all these pieces. I get so frustrated. I literally will tell them, go watch TV. But then when I give up and I tell them to go watch TV, a problem occurs. A problem occurs. All of a sudden, this voice on the inside of me, this voice on the side of me, for whatever reason, is Nigeria. And the, the voice, the voice says, is that the type of child you want to raise? <laughs> a child that quits? A child that throws in the towel. Is that the type of child you want to bring into the world? And I'm like, oh, God. Come back, come back. And I called him back to the table. I said, y'all, come back. We got we to gotta figure this out. They're like, Daddy, we can. It's too hard. I know, but you can do hard things. Come on, let's try to figure this out. Let's try to put it together. They're like, no. And then we'll be trying. And inevitably, in the Legos and the puzzle, they will pick up one piece. And they'll look at that piece. And they'll, and they'll go, Daddy, this piece, it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't go. We need to give up. It doesn't fit. It doesn't go. I said, no, 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 no. It has to go. It has to fit somewhere because the designer and the creator of the puzzles and the Legos would not have put it in the box. They wouldn't have put it in the package if it didn't go somewhere. Oh, I know the pieces don't look like the picture, but the fact that you got the pieces is proof positive that there is a picture, that there is a destiny. I need somebody to take a praise break for every broken piece that was in your life, every storm that shattered. Pieces preach. Pieces are proof positive that there's a picture. Pieces are proof positive that there is a purpose. I know you're frustrated because the pieces look nothing like the picture. And you staring at the box. Staring at the piece. I go, wait, is that an eye? Is that a nose? What is this piece for? But the piece never looks like the picture. But instead of weeping about the pieces, let the pieces preach to you. And let you know that if you got the pieces, then there must be a picture. When was the last time you praised God? for your broken pieces. Oh, when was the last time you thanked him for the person that broke your heart? Come on, girl. You wouldn't know a manipulator if you didn't have the first one. You wouldn't know somebody that was playing games if they hadn't betrayed you the first time. You wouldn't know litigation if you hadn't gone through the stupid mistake the first. When was the last time 
that you praise God for the pieces. Pieces are powerful. Leftover pieces are powerful. Come on, you remember when Jesus took the fish and the loaves and he broke it and everybody ate? And remember, he wouldn't even let the disciples throw the leftover pieces away. You thought leftovers started with you. No, no, no. <laughs> Jesus wanted them to hold on to the pieces so they wouldn't forget his provision. They wouldn't forget the power of what he did. Pieces are important. And prove it in the text. I'll prove it in the text. <laughs> Remember Acts chapter 27, the ship is about to go down. Paul says, y'all better eat some, something because you're going to have to swim. Remember I told you that last week? You better take care of your physical body. Don't let the external storm jack up you on the inside. You better eat some food. I know you don't like that either because you want everything to be spiritual. God, deliver me from this depression. He can, but sometimes you just need to work out. Sometimes you just need to eat healthy. Sometimes you just need to go to bed. Can I take away the anxiety? Get off of Instagram. <laughs> I don't like it. So we told him, eat. He said, eat. Get your strength. And you're going to need your strength because you got to swim to shore. But in the text, everybody couldn't swim. Ooh, I would have been in that category. <laughs> if my safety was based on my swimming, I'm gone. But remember, he said, Everybody's going to make it. But only some of them can swim. How do the rest of them get on the shore? So glad you asked. Acts chapter 7, 27, verse 44 says, and the rest, the non-swimmers, they got on boards and on some... Broken pieces. They didn't have the broken pieces. They wouldn't have got to the shore. Some of them were holding on to the broken pieces. Saying, Lord, I'm so glad you did this because you know I can't swim and I can't mess up my hair. I'm going to hold on to these pieces. Ooh, we got a diverse church. You know, some of them were like, broken pieces, they up there just. These ways, bro. <laughs> They serve it. <laughs> but the broken pieces got them to the shore. When they got to the shore, the pieces made sense. Sometimes your broken pieces, hear me, are for you. And sometimes your broken pieces are for other people. That's why you can't quit too soon. <sighs> because some of you have broken pieces for people that you hadn't even met yet. And you're trying to figure out, why did I go through this and you hadn't even met the person that your broken pieces are gonna bring them the peace that they need. Oh, don't you dare commit suicide. Don't you dare kill yourself. You're not even gonna get to the good part. You gotta wait and see, God, why did I go through this? Why did this happen? Why did God help me make sense of the peace? Oh, I didn't even give you my title. I messed up my whole sermon. Yeah, let me give you my title right here in the middle. My, my title is Make It Make Sense. 
That's what you got to ask of the broken pieces in your life. God, make this make sense. Why did I go through what I went through? Why did I not have a mom in my life? Why was my dad never? Make it make sense. You got to help me with these broken pieces. Some of you are giving up because of the broken pieces, but God said, if you will run to me, I'm telling you, you'll get better clarity on the broken piece. Oh, as a matter of fact, some of you wouldn't even be who you are today if not for the broken pieces. Oh, your broken pieces taught you how to pray. Your broken pieces taught you how to worship. Your broken pieces are going to give peace to somebody else. Don't you waste your broken pieces. But I know, I know. You say, I sound a real good preacher. Yeah, that's, that's, that sounds real good. I'm sorry. I'm stuck. And I'm looking at the pieces. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You ever say that it don't make sense? Okay. Somebody say every day. Okay. Okay. If it doesn't make sense, I got a word for you. I got a word for you if it doesn't make sense. In fact, I'm going to have you... Have you said it to your neighbor? Remember last week I told you, don't sell from Crete. Remember I told you, don't go Crete. It's your flesh. It's your carnality that got you in the storm in the first place. I, 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 got, a new, I got a new word for you this week. I want you to say it to your neighbor. Say neighbor. neighbor. No, look at him. Say neighbor. neighbor. Some of you don't think I can see you. Look at <laughs> your neighbor. Say neighbor. neighbor. I know it doesn't make sense. I know it sense. But it don't make sense. On Malta. Oh, look, at, look at another neighbor. Look at another neighbor. Come on, your second option. Say, other neighbor. You're my second choice. But I got a word for you. It will make sense on Malta. It will make sense on Malta. It will make sense on Malta. Oh, I'm telling you, if you knew how powerful that was right there. It'll make sense on Malta. Anybody ever been to Malta? Anybody? Yeah. I, I didn't expect anybody to raise their hand. Because most people miss Malta. Most people miss Malta. And hear me, you can't book a trip to Malta. So if after this service you, you want to call your travel agent and say, ah, yeah, I'd like to go to Malta, you can't book a trip to Malta. Malta is the place you end up at and you never plan for. That's Malta. See, you can't book a trip to Malta because Malta is the place that you never planned on going. Malta is the place that found you. You weren't looking for it. That is Malta. Uh, you told me to preach this. They're not even saying amen. You can't book a trip to Malta because Malta is never on your itinerary. You wouldn't pick it. Let's see if I can really bring it home. If you book a flight today to the Bahamas, from DFW to the Bahamas, and you land in the Bahamas from DFW, the Bahamas is not Malta. It's the Bahamas. But if you book a trip to the Bahamas, and as you get in the air from DFW, a storm breaks out, and the flight attendants are looking scared. 
and the pilot says, yo, this is real bad. I ain't gonna lie to y'all, this is real bad. Put the ginger ale up, we about to go down. It's the only time you drink it on the plane. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the turbulence starts shaking. All of a sudden, we got, sorry, we're gonna have to do an emergency landing. And you have to do an emergency landing in Beaumont, Texas. When you was headed to the Bahamas. And the storm is so bad, you are stuck in Beaumont for three months and can't even get back home. Guess what Beaumont is? Beaumont is Malta. Because there you are, mad. You alive. She's like, God, for real? Beaumont? Here you are, had an expectation to be on a palatial beach, sipping a drink with the umbrella. And now you at the MC Suites <laughs> in Beaumont, sitting by the pool. When you thought you was gonna be on the beach, ain't gotta deal with all these kids talking about cannonballs and splashing. <laughs> that, that's Malta. It's the places in our lives that we wouldn't pick. And I know you don't like Malta, and I know you wouldn't pick a trip to Malta, but can I tell you something? You need Malta. The places that you didn't pick teach you the things that you never knew. It's something about the places that you did not plan on going that God reveals himself to you in a different way. I know you don't want to go to Malta, but Malta is beautiful because when you get to Malta, you don't have any more answers. You just got questions. See, remember when you left and you knew, I, I've been sailing for years. I got this. I got the answer, Sway. I know where I'm supposed to go. Remember that? You lose all that in Malta. When you get on the shore of Malta, you're just happy to be alive. When you get on the shore of Malta, you have no clue where you are, and you are finally humble enough to ask a question before you had all the answers. Prove it in the text, Robert. I'll prove it in the text. Acts, Acts chapter 28. Look at verse 1 and 2. Y'all bored yet? No. Look at what it says. After we were brought safely through, we then... I'm pausing so you can say it. Yeah. We then... That the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. What happened as soon as you got to Malta? You learned. Before you knew everything. Before you had more degrees than a thermometer. Before you, you knew it all. But when you got to Malta, the storm brought humility for you to learn something. Can you see them? Looking like Tom Hanks on Castaway. <laughs> Seaweed around their neck. Clothes ripped up. Open wounds. Landing on Malta. Going to the native people going. 
Malta. Malta, you ask where you are. You don't even know. You know you're on the edge of a breakthrough when you're humble enough to ask the question, where am I? I know, I know, I know you know where you're going. Oh, I see your Instagram. I see your goals. I see your 10-year plan. I know you know your destination, but, but do you know where you are now? You are always on the cusp and the precipice of a breakthrough and a life change when you can finally ask, where, where, excuse me, where, 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 where am I? You do know that is the first question that God ever asked Adam, and it is, where are you. This is what sin does. Sin produces pride for people to never assess where they actually are. You think you know where you are, but after the storm comes, Malta will make you ask, where am I? Whew. For what it's worth, Malta means the place of refuge. For what it's worth, because I don't want nobody from Beaumont emailing me. <laughs> Beaumont means beautiful mountain. So don't take your trip to Beaumont <laughs> for your next vacation. Malta means the place of refuge. It's as if the text is saying to us, I don't even know where my place of refuge is. I don't even know where the beautiful places are. Sometimes God, through the detours in my life, has to guide me, sometimes through a storm, to where the place of refuge is. Don't despise the broken pieces, and don't despise the unplanned places that God takes you to. I told you before, if he orders your steps, he must also order your stops. If you trust him for your destination, you must also trust him for your detours. And I know you don't want to be on Malta. Some of you are in Malta right now. But look at you learning something in Malta. They land at Malta. And I love it because when they get to Malta, text says there was already a fire going. The natives of the land had already built a fire for these 276 inmates, Paul included. The natives of the land built a fire. They had the fire ready for them when they got to the shore. That means these natives had to be looking out when they were coming on the sea, talking about, ooh, you know how you do, ooh, they're about to crash. <laughs> You ever see somebody walking wobbly say, oh, uh -uh, you shouldn't have worn them heels. You're about to fall. <laughs> they saw them about to crash, and they said, oh, I can see that crash coming. Oh, there it is. And, they let, and their first instinct of the natives of Malta was let's build a fire and have it ready for them. Let's build a fire. And they had the fire ready. And Luke says something, y'all, that messed with me this week. Luke says they built a fire and they showed unusual kindness to us. The natives showed unusual kindness. And maybe I'm thinking too deep on the text. But I thought it was unusual that Dr. Luke called the natives kindness 
unusual. Uh, excuse me, Luke. Who is it unusual to? You or them? Obviously, the kindness that they showed was not unusual to them because it was their natural instinct to say, ooh, they about to crash. It's cold. Let's build a fire. The kindness was not unusual to the natives. It was unusual to Dr. Luke, who is recording this. Camouflaged in Luke's compliment of, the, of their unusual kindness, he's letting you know something about him. You call him the kindness unusual because if the tables were turned, if it was you on the land and you saw 276 felons and cons and inmates crashing on your shore, your first instinct probably would not have been to build a fire. It might have been to lock your doors and reach for a firearm, but you wouldn't have built a fire. Luke, why are you calling this unusual? It's not unusual to them because they did it. It's unusual to you. You're telling on yourself, Luke. You're saying you wouldn't have done the same thing. And I can prove it further in the text because... The text calls them natives, natives. But in the original language, that word natives is barbarian. It's barbarian. Luke is Greek. He writes in the most perfect Greek. And the Greeks believed that anybody that didn't speak Greek, anybody that didn't speak their language, they put them in one big category and called them barbarians. Huh. The Greeks didn't take time to know the unique nuances of other cultures. They just simply said, if you don't speak like I speak, if you don't think like I think, let me bring it home, if you don't vote like I vote, <laughs> if you don't look like I look, you're a barbarian. I'm so glad that we have really transcended as a culture and we don't have those primitive things. Aren't you so glad? I mean, can you believe that culture? Aren't you so glad that people today don't put people in categories and completely castigate them because they're in, aren't you so glad that today we don't stay in our own little silos? And aren't you so glad today that we don't demonize people that have a different opinion and a different perspective? Aren't you? We're so much more advanced, aren't we? Luke! Why are you calling them barbarians just because they don't speak what you speak? But the same philosophy that was in that culture is in our culture today, too, where we are quick to write off people that don't think like we think or look like we look, and we'll put them in categories. So I'm thankful for Malta because Malta was not just for Paul. Malta was for Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke needed to know that there are people who have kindness that are different than you. And that is only unusual to you because you're telling on yourself that you wouldn't have done it. Isn't it crazy that the natives of the land 
were nicer than the foreigners in the land? Isn't it crazy that the natives of the land were kinder than the foreigners that were coming onto the land? Let me make it real plain. You know, the Bible says that we are strangers. We are aliens in this land. How many of you know if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is not your home. Heaven is your home. Oh, I know you're proud to be whoever you are proud to be. But can I tell you what takes precedence? It's the kingdom. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that is what you identify as. I am a blood-bought believer. That's what I should flash on my license and on my passport. I am a stranger and I am not a native in this land. I'm a foreigner. But the text is always speaking to us, letting us know that the natives of the land shouldn't be kinder than the foreigners of this land. In other words, how many know the people outside the church, the people who are not believers, should not be kinder than those of us who are believers? Oh, God, give us the believers who are known for their kindness, and the kindness is not unusual. Stop professing Christ if you can't be kind. God, let Social Dallas be a church where people see our kindness, where people see our The natives were quick to be a, build a fire. The people in the world sometimes are quicker to be a, build a fire. It's the religious folks that are ready to throw you in the fire. It's the religious folks that be so quick to say, you're going to hell. But look at the natives. The pagans knew. Uh, they cold. They don't really need a sermon right now. <laughs> they just need a, <laughs> a fire. <laughs> and here they are. I'm almost done. Are you bored? No. Here they are. Sitting by the fire. Can you see them? Look at this eclectic group of people by the fire. You got centurions, sailors, the owner of the ship. You got an entrepreneur. You got Dr. Luke. You got the natives. Look at this eclectic. You got inmates. Ooh. All sitting together by the fire. I want to ask you something. When was the last time you sat by the fire with somebody different than you? When was the last time you had community with somebody that doesn't think like you think or look how you look or vote how you vote? When was the last time you just sat around the fire and not around the fire to have a debate or an argument, but around the fire to shut up and listen to somebody else's story? By the way, this is where life change happens, by the way. It's when people from different cultures and backgrounds and ethnicities are able to come around the fire and talk. This is where, not in the comment section of Facebook and Instagram, this is where life change happens. It's when you sit around the fire with somebody different than you. I'm gonna give you a homework assignment this holiday season. Get around the fire. Chestnuts roasting on an open. Yeah. Get around one with somebody different than you. You can start today. You can start today. You see all these restaurants out here? Yeah. Sit around the fire and hear the story and the perspective of somebody who doesn't think how you think. 
and be humble enough just to go, wow, I never looked at it that way before. I can always tell people who haven't sat by the fire with people different than them by how they talk. Their narrow perspective and their narrow mind will come out of their mouth. Ooh, you can tell about the stupid stuff they say. Like, ooh, you need to sit around some different people by the fire. I wish they had alternate algorithms just to show you a different perspective so you don't live in an echo chamber and think everybody thinks the way you think. They're sitting by the fire, having community. They even speak the same language. That's how powerful presence is. They just... Thank you. Appreciate it. There they are, getting warmed up by the fire with people different than them. But I have to issue a warning for this right here. Ooh. I have to give you a warning. That if you're going to be brave enough to sit around the fire with people different than you, got to give you a warning. Expect an attack from the enemy. Expect an attack. The enemy gets angry when you get a community. Angry. Nothing more he wants than for you to be isolated. This holiday season, he wants you isolated. And some of you, oh God, I hear you talking. Some of you are going to have to get past your pride this holiday and call up somebody in the church and community and say, hey, I ain't got nowhere to go this holiday season. Can I come over? Well, I don't want to put myself out there. Why? The enemy wants you isolated. He gets angry when you get in community. But hear me, he will attack you. If you get in community that has diversity and you fight for unity. I'm going to say that again. If you want to see the enemy get angry, get in community. If you want to see him attack you, Get in community that has diversity and fight for unity. Fight for unity. Stay in a church long enough and refuse to get offended and leave. If you want to see hell come against you, then get in community that has diversity and start fighting for unity. That's when he attacks. He, atta he gets angry in community. Oh, but he will attack you if you get in a community that has diversity and you say, I will fight for unity. I'm going to connect on the thing that we can agree on that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to major on the majors and not major on the minors. Oh, if you fight for that unity, expect an attack. And I'll prove it in the text. Because you see what they're doing. They're building a fire. Community is happening. And the fire must have started dying down. It started dying down. So you know Paul can't sit still. Because as the fire is dying down, the Apostle Paul gets up because he sees the fire going down. Paul got up because he saw the fire going down. Community is happening. Diversity is happening. And Paul sees that the fire is going down. He said, I can't let the fire go down. I can't let this fire die out. We need this fire. So Paul gets up to go get some sticks. Why does he get sticks? Because he doesn't want the fire to go out. 
He can't let the fire go out, so he goes to get some sticks. Because community and diversity is happening, and because community and diversity is happening, and the fire is going down, the Apostle Paul, the one who's planting the churches, says, I'm not waiting for any of y'all to go get the firewood. I'll go get the firewood myself, because I can't let the fire go down. I can't let this fire die out. Can I pause right here and just have my own personal shout and praise break? I love that Paul and Acts chapter 28. Refuse to let the fire go down. I love that he refused to let the fire go down. This is Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. This is the last chapter in the book of Acts. I need you to elbow at least three people and tell them this is the last chapter. No, you elbow two. Elbow at least three people and tell them this is the last chapter. Tell them it's the last chapter. Tell them don't let the fire go out in the last chapter. Paul said it's the last chapter in Acts and I can't let the fire go out. Wait a minute, let me back it up a little bit. Because before the fire was the wind, it was the wind that brought them all the way to Malta. They didn't plan on being in Malta, but the violent wind in Acts chapter 28 brought them all the way to Malta. And Paul said, I can't let the fire go down when the wind brought me here because I'm in the last chapter. Can I just have a praise break and thank God that in the beginning of the book of Acts, it started with wind and fire. And at the end of the book of Acts, it started with wind, ended with wind and with fire. That means the church is still thriving. The church is still going. The same fire and the same wind it started with is the same wind and same fire it ended with. Oh, I need somebody to give God some praise, right? in here. Oh, I need you to give him some praise like you ain't gonna let your fire go out. Somebody that believes in the power of the Holy Ghost needs to just give him some praise like you know the fire can't go out. Oh! Oh! It started with wind and fire in an upper room. Suddenly, sound as a mighty rushing wind filled the upper room and clovered tongues of fire fell on each one of them oh, and they got power to be witnesses to Jerusalem Judea Samaria and the ends of the earth and this gospel is on its way to Rome it started in Jerusalem. And now, almost 30 years later, don't forget, I know you can read Acts in two hours, but that's 30 years of church history. And now this gospel is going to Rome and the fire is still burning. If you make a decision to keep the fire burning, you got to be careful. There's a cost to keeping the fire going. Expect an attack when you want to keep the fire going. That's what Paul told Timothy of all the things he could have told him in the last moments of his life. He said, I'm telling you, stir up, fan into flame the gift of God 
that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. He's telling Timothy with his last dying breath, don't let the fire go out. But know that if you do, you're going to have an attack. Because here is Paul grabbing the firewood. And as he's grabbing the firewood, just trying to keep the fire going. The Bible says in verse number three that a snake, a viper, a poisonous snake fastened itself onto Paul's hand. I told you, you want to see the enemy get angry? Get in community. You want to see him attack? Get in community that has diversity and fight for unity. And here is Paul with the serpent hanging on his hand. Woo! Know about you? I don't do snakes. Got scripture. Genesis was enough for me. When I saw the serpent, that let me know not to mess with snakes. And here's how I know that this is not a normal snake. The Bible says it fastened itself to Paul's hand. Y'all, I've watched the Discovery Channel. <laughs> snakes that are poisonous don't fasten themselves to your hand. Google it when you get home. They do not fasten themselves to your hand. They strike. That's a snake right there. They strike real quick and back up. They don't fasten themselves and hang on to your hand. There are some attacks in your life that you know this is demonic. This ain't no coincidence. This ain't just a car wreck. I know that the pits of hell came against me. There are some attacks in your life that are straight from the enemy. What this snake doing? Fastening to Paul's hand. And there's Paul. A satanic attack. Got a snake hanging from his hand. Here's how else you know that the enemy attacks and he'll do it through other people. Because while the snake is hanging from his hand, the natives, the first thing out of their mouth is not, ooh, the first thing out of their mouth is like, it's not man. He got a snake on his hand. The first thing out of their mouth is not even a reach to help him. First thing they say is this man is a murderer. Justice has come to get him. Think about that. Of all the things they could have said, they could have said this man is a liar. They could have said this man is a cheater. That would have been more appropriate. See, he a cheater. Snakes attract snakes. He <laughs> is a cheater. No, no, no. That's not what they said. First thing they said with the snake still fastened to his hand, this man is a murderer. That's how you know it was the enemy. Because hear me, he was. He was. He was. He was. He 
murderer. He was. Um, you know it's the enemy because he's always trying to remind you of who you were. He's always trying to bring you back to who you used to be. He's always trying to bring up your past. He's always trying to tell you, you know you were a liar. You know you were that, but you better do what Paul did when he tries to bring back your past. You better shake it off. Shake off every lie of the enemy who's trying to remind you of who you were. Yes, that's who I was, but that is not who I am. I need somebody to give God the best shout you've given this service. If you're so glad that you are not who you were, that you are a new creation. Don't you let the poisonous words of the enemy or other people bring you back to who you were. I don't feel like it. Have you been born again? Did you feel it when you were born? No, go look at your birth certificate and look at the date and remind yourself you were born physically. It's the same thing spiritually. I don't care if you don't feel like you're born again. You better look at every demon and every liar and get in the Word of God and remind yourself, this is who I am. This has nothing to do with feeling. Ah, this is who I am. I'm not who I was. Shake it off. Shake it. Shake it. That's what I do sometimes. Just giving you some praise hacks. When the enemy's in my mind, sometimes I just, I'll, I'll do that. I'll just, no, 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 no. I'll just, no, no, no. And even sometimes before I get up to preach, who you are trying to preach the gospel, you're like, no, 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 no. I am the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Who do you think you are? I can't do it. No, 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 no. I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, you better shake it. I gotta hurry, you hungry. He shakes it off in the fire. And after he shakes it off in the fire, the natives watch. Here's what they look for. They're waiting to see if he's gonna swell up and die. They're waiting. It's only a matter of time. He gonna swell up and die. They're waiting. The natives are waiting. They had to have seen somebody get bit by a snake before to know that that's what happens when you get bit by a snake. It's only a matter of time before you swell up and you die. So they by the fire waiting for him to swell up and die. Because they saw it happen to every other person that got bit by a snake. What happened to them? They swell up and they die. But as they kept waiting, I don't know how long they waited. Maybe it was a couple of hours. If I feel it the way I feel it, maybe it was three days. However long it was. But while they were waiting for him to swell up and die, they finally gave up and realized, hold on, he ain't dead yet. And then they say, said, he must be a God. 
see how fickle people are? One moment, <laughs> I'm a murderer. The next moment, I'm a God. One moment is praise him. The next moment is crucify him. For all y'all that are still scrolling and looking for likes and looking for validation for other people and you feel good when other people embrace you, just know that as soon as they call you a murderer, they'll call you a God, then they'll flip and call you a murderer again. Stop looking for other people to validate who you are. They waited. flashbacks to the cross it's all for the history of humanity anybody got, that got bitten by death they died they didn't come back that was what happened to everybody else that got bitten by death because of the serpent that deceived humanity in the garden and while they were waiting, in three days, Jesus got up from the grave with all power in his hand. Paul shakes it off. He says, I'm not the God. <laughs> I bet he told him, I'm not, I'm not a God. But I am his property. And I've got a promise. And I've got to get to Rome. He gave me a promise. I know it don't make sense. It looks a mess, but what gives me hope in the mess is the promise that I got. He doesn't die. Next thing that happens is they go to this governor's house. He has a name that I would not name their child. Publius. Get to Publius' house and it's in the text. Read it when you get home. That's the governor's name. And for three days, he entertains Paul and 275 inmates. See, I look for Zillow in the text. How big is this house? You got space for 276 people, people is? I want you, I'm going somewhere. It just so happens after the snake bite that in the house Paul is staying in, Publius' father is sick. He's got fever and dysentery. Paul says, take me into the room. I want to pray for him. And I can see it, y'all. I can see this man holding on to his life. Who knows how long he's been sick. Fever sweating. See, puberty is coming in and saying, hey, Dad, huh? It's the guy here want to pray for you. Who is it? His name is Paul. Well, bring him in here. Paul comes in the room. He says, can I pray for you? Whatever you want to do. I can see Paul stretching out his hands to pray.
pray for his healing. And in my exegetical imagination, Publius' father says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you pray, what? What is all that? I can see him staring at the cuts and the wounds and the scars. Paul is in the sunset of his life. He has been beaten for this gospel. He's been stoned and left for dead for this gospel. He even said, my, my body's carried the marks. This gospel that we treat so casually sometimes and come to church, sip our lattes. He said, my body's carried the marks. I can see him in my imagination saying, yeah, that happened in Lystra. They thought I was dead, but I wasn't. Oh, this happened in Jerusalem. Ooh, they got me good. I mean, what's this? What's, what's those two fresh marks? Oh, crazy you would ask. Y'all got snakes on this island. poisonous but I got a promise I got to get to Rome and perhaps with the same hand that bit him that the snake bit him he prays for him and Publius father is healed they start bringing all the sick to them and the whole island sick get healed you know Paul he ain't just gonna give you a healing without giving you a sermon you know he was out there on that island preaching the same gospel that he did before Festus and Felix and Agrippa anytime Paul had an audience he said I'm gonna tell you about what he did for me you can see him preaching the gospel they stayed there for three months probably having revival and all of a sudden a ship comes for them to sail out and the natives give them all the supplies that they need which means every single thing that you lost oh y'all don't want to hear that every single thing that you lost I know you're crying over but I'm telling you God can restore every single thing that you lost. As a matter of fact, he can restore time. I know the enemy's telling you you lost years, but he'll restore the time. He'll redeem the time that the canker worm stole. He'll redeem and restore it. Loaded their ship down, and they sell out to Rome. Paul finally gets to Rome. I'm closing the chapter. He finally gets before Caesar. And can you see Paul in front of Caesar? And Caesar, took me a while to get here. But let me tell you what happened on my way here. And Caesar, the most powerful man at the time, 
and every single person in the court that day heard the story of how Paul and 275 prisoners crashed, got bit by a snake, and made it. I know you're staring at the pieces, and you're saying, God, make it make sense. But God told me to tell you, sometimes it won't make sense until you make it. I know you're looking at the piece right now, and you're like, God, make it make sense, and that's fine. How many know you can come to him with your questions? You can come to him with your doubts. I know you want him to make the pieces make sense, but I'm trying to tell you, sometimes the pieces don't make sense until you make it. Sometimes it's not until you get to Rome that you'll understand that's why I had to go through what I went I needed a story to tell Caesar. That's why I went through that pain. Oh, it won't make sense sometimes until you make it. But allow God to determine what it is. You've defined what it is, but allow him to determine what it is. Sometimes it's not until you make it to the destination that it makes sense. That's every person that's not standing to stand. I'm going to ask heads be bowed, eyes be closed. Please, nobody moving. We're, we're going to dismiss just in a moment. I need to know who this is for. I need to know who God woke me up on Tuesday at 2 o'clock in the morning to preach this for. I don't know where you are in this story. Maybe you're in Crete. You're making a decision according to your flesh, and it looks good right now, but God often gives warnings before the storm. They didn't even have to go through it. Maybe you're in the middle of the storm right now, and you're losing things and throwing things overboard. Maybe you're in Malta. Maybe Dallas is your Malta. It's not the place you planned. It's the place you ended up. I don't know where you are in the text, but I do know that you are going to make it. But you have to come to him even in the broken pieces. Matter of fact, I dare say it's not until the pieces have been broken that you're even humble enough to come to him. I know you hate the storm. Sometimes it's not until the storm that you actually realize that his ways are better than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world. Thank you.